Warning. Mondays are horrible. And there's going to be a Monday every single week from now until the day we die unless we come together and seriously plot the abolition of Mondays. Like, seriously work towards their abolition. Our ancestors fought and won changes to the work week. More humane plateaus. Different work-life balances have been enshrined in law before. And we can do the same. Library socialists aim to abolish Mondays, and we mean that completely seriously. And if anybody ever tells you that abolishing Mondays is impossible, they're a liar. And that's all there is to it. No nuance, no nothing. They're lying to you intentionally. Oh, I'm a businessman. Although I rely on Mondays for my business, I've got economic incentive to lie about the abolition of Mondays. Coincidentally, just complete coincidence, I think that abolishing Mondays is a fanciful and unrealistic idea. The type of idea that you could only put on like a comedy podcast and not a serious podcast. Oh, I'm a businessman. That's what you're dealing with. It's either that or it's someone who's not a boss themselves, but, you know, they kind of, they're a temporarily embarrassed non-boss. They think they're going to be a boss one day. And so even though Mondays don't benefit them now, they think Mondays are going to benefit them in the future. So they play that game too, but it's sad. Yeah, it's a virus. And the only vaccine is seriously wrong. Stay with us. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by privately hating Mondays as an isolated worker-consumer, but never coming together. We know you. You hate Mondays. And what better way to stick it to the system as an individual than some anti-Monday merch? I hate Mondays hats. I hate Mondays shirts. I hate Mondays proudly on your big truck. Yeah, we hate Mondays. So let's buy some more commodities using the same socioeconomic system that creates Mondays. Workers coming into the factory on Monday wearing their own anti-Mondays hat. Spending the day making I hate Mondays hats for the profits of their bosses. Don't ask yourself where the Mondays come from. Don't speak to other workers about ending Mondays as we know them. Buy some anti-Monday merch with the money you earned on your mandatory Monday shift. Privately hating Mondays as an isolated worker-consumer and never coming together. Proud sponsor of the show. Seriously Wrong is a big-hearted, above-board, do-gooder show, a research-based utopian comedy podcast that we try to make funny and informative every episode. We love doing Seriously Wrong, but it takes a lot of time to research, write, record, and to edit. It also takes money for hosting, music, and hiring help with editing and production. We are an entirely listener-supported show. We turn down offers from advertisers all the time because our listeners are awesome and they're generous in supporting the show, and advertising is a form of mind poison. 
So if you'd like to be part of supporting independent creators like us to make the best content that we possibly can, your monthly donation of just $6 a month, that sweet six, can make a huge difference. And you also get our episodes before anyone else. Your contribution will help keep Seriously Wrong going for a thousand episodes. That's what the projections say, that we could get to a thousand episodes, and that after a thousand episodes, it seems incredibly likely I don't want to make any promises, but maybe maybe I will. Maybe I'll yeah, just make, make the, the promise, promise that if we hit 1,000 episodes, there will be 10,000 years of world peace. That's just objectively factual. That's like talking to a doctor. Like That's what a high level of epistemology we're dealing with. And that's a promise. That's a guarantee. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. I hope you are having a wonderful Monday. It's a good day of the week. This podcast episode was designed to be listened to on a Monday. I mean, it's your choice to not do that, but some of it might sound a bit off. So just be forewarned. On this beautiful Monday, we wanted to talk with you all about Mondays, a common political topic. If anyone is listening on a non-Monday, keep it to yourself. Treat it like it was a thing that you got away with, because it was. Not approve listening. You're violating the intellectual property of Seriously Wrong by listening to it on a non-Monday. This is only licensed for Monday use. That being said, if it's not Monday and you get away with it, all the power to you. Yeah, we support getting away with things on the show. So, Monday, Monday, as they say, a lot of people's least favorite day of the week. The reason why people don't like Monday is not the name Monday, which is, you know, a shortened version of Moon Day, which is obviously a beautiful name for a day that everyone would love. It's not because out in the universe there is such a thing as a Monday, and every seven cycles of the Earth's rotation, certain things tend to happen in nature. That's not the case. Every seven rotations of the Earth, something does tend to happen, but it's within the social realm. It's not within nature. It's not something found in a forest. It's like, oh, here's Monday. No, Monday is created by human beings. And the feature of Monday that makes us not like Mondays is the wage labor system. It's the day people return to work. No, I'm not blowing any minds here by saying this, but there's big forces at play when it comes to why Mondays suck. And we thought, should we reform Monday or should we abolish it? That's always the question. Yeah, whenever there's a problem in society, we on the left take a look at it and say, reform or abolish? The answer is almost always that reforming something and abolishing it they're tied up in each other. In order to really abolish something, you have to sort of reform it or reform part of it in the process. So I'll lock it in. I think both. Well, I mean, let's take a look at it in this example. You could reform Monday, make it not the day that you go back to work, or you could abolish Monday, remove it from the week entirely, either have a six-day week or replace it with another day. Well, it seems like a simple enough problem to me. You know, we've got a problem with Mondays. We'll just get rid of work on Monday and just move the work over one day. Start work on Tuesdays and work until Saturday. That way Mondays would become a much better day. Well, yeah, that saves Mondays, but I feel like it just transfers the problem to Tuesdays. There wouldn't be a real change. It would just be a confusing change that makes no difference. Right, right. So yeah. I'd rather do a less confusing change that does make a difference. I'm all ears. Now, I know a lot of our audience in America don't have legal statutory holidays that every employer has to give off to full-time employees or pay time and a half the way that we do in Canada and many other places. And colloquially, we call those long weekends. A long weekend is generally when you have Saturday, Sunday, and oh, hey, Monday's off too. And on those weeks, 
I don't hate Mondays as much. That's what I've noticed. I tend to be like, this Monday is a pretty good Monday. And I've also noticed that it makes Sunday better because Sunday no longer has that taint of Monday coming next. I mean, Monday is still coming next, but it's not a normal Monday. It's a long weekend Monday, which are the good Mondays. It's a Monday off. Yeah, because we don't hate Mondays. We hate wage relations and we hate the crushing necessities of life. Yeah. So if we really want to liberate Mondays, we have to relieve some of that. If we say, okay, we're going to kill the Monday to save the Monday. We're going to kill the Monday in our heads. We're going to reduce Monday to scrap and then grow a garden where it once was. The phoenix rising from the ashes of the old. The old Monday burned away and the new, better Monday born from the ashes. If we made every weekend a long weekend. Two days is a short weekend, and it always was. And a long weekend would be a four-day weekend, and a regular weekend is a three-day. In that universe, Mondays become a little bit more like a Sunday. And Tuesdays might become a bit like a Monday, like in the problem that we had with just shifting things forward. But it's not quite like a Monday, because it's still only three full days after that of work until the next weekend. The Tuesday is still the day you have to go back, and it would kind of make Tuesdays maybe a bit worse in some ways, but the Tuesday wouldn't be as bad as the Monday, so it stays true to that. It improves Sundays, it improves Mondays a lot, and if there's any collateral damage to Tuesday getting slightly worse, it doesn't offset all the better stuff. Sometimes you have to sacrifice people's pure neutrality towards a day like Tuesday to really, really liberate people and also the concept of Monday. And sure, I know what you're thinking. Oh, well, Monday will become the new Sunday. You're going to be thinking about that Tuesday right around the corner. You won't be able to fully enjoy it. Well, that might be true. But you get that whole free liberated Sunday. Don't count that out. Plus. In the transition, and take notes if you're an aspiring politician here, you're going to get gratitude, an insane amount of gratitude from the people who have their lives fundamentally restructured for their own good. It's hard to hate Tuesday in that same way. It really is. Like, how would you feel? Would you be like, oh, this is, psh, things stay the same, you know, things are year after year. No, you'd be like, what the fuck is happening? I love Tuesdays. I'm going to work harder. I love my boss now. Well, maybe not that far, but... Yeah, I don't know about all that, but I do think that the argument that it just turns Monday into Sunday, which is already the worst day of the weekend, is not the best argument because it just ignores the fact that it's turning Sunday into basically a Saturday. And then what is Saturday at that point? Friday night all day. Yeah, it's like a super Saturday. It's like something as yet unknown in the vibe of the week. We've never had a regular first day of a three-day weekend before. We know what Saturdays are like, so we know what the futuristic Sunday might be, but we don't know what the futuristic Saturday would be like because, yeah, a Friday night for a whole day is one way to imagine it, but really we just don't know. And then, yeah, what is actual Friday night going to be like at that point? That's out of the stratosphere. These are the sleeper benefits of something like the abolition of Mondays, the destruction of Monday, and the recreation of Monday. Hello and welcome back to Wrongtown History, where we chronicle the political and cultural history of a little town called Wrongtown. Now, on today's episode, we're finally getting to a topic that we've been promising to get to for a really long time, and that, of course, is the history of Mondays in Wrongtown. A lot of people don't know this, but the way the current version of Mondays that exists came about from history is actually a fascinating major part of the history here. 
In the early 20th century in Wrongtown, a fiery orator, a neighborhood man, is recorded making a series of speeches about tyranny of the Monday, the way that Monday holds people down. And of course, the politicians in Wrongtown at the time said that Mondays were a wonderful thing, that Mondays were the day when you start to work, the most wonderful day of the week when productivity begins. They'd point to all their charts, their GDP graphs, they'd say, look at our productive forces in Wrongtown and how it's growing. Mondays are making that possible. Don't you people understand? It's wonderful. That's what the politicians were saying. And we know that this fiery orator, although unfortunately his or her or their name has been lost to history from the Wrongtown Purges. We historians, we cross ourselves when we hear about it. I'm not religious, but just, oh, all that was lost. So this seemingly fiery orator appears to have given a series of speeches condemning the barbarism of the Monday. It seems that their little populist movement in Wrongtown was so effective that it shook the halls of power themselves. The business community came to the mayor of Wrongtown and they said, all this anti-Monday demonstrations is affecting our bottom line. Yeah, the people hate Mondays and we're corporations, we're hip. We want to be against Mondays too. We're trying to sell products to these demographics that are really mad about Mondays. You need to do something here. We need to do something here. Look at the graph. It's not just a bad graph, sir. It corresponds to something that's bad in material reality. For us, our bottom line. Here, this line, the bottom one, and heading ever more bottom, sir. Yeah, basically the corporations were like, the people hate Mondays. Obviously we love Mondays, but want to co-opt that energy somehow. Can you help us? The government of Wrongtown said, whatever we can do to make sure that these GDP graphs keep going up, the good graphs, not the bad graphs, absolutely. You and us, we're the same. We work together on stuff like this. And then they kind of winked at each other and said, how do we come to a wink-wink, win-win scenario where we can both wink-wink, give them what they want, but also really keep what's important to us? And they just didn't wink for that last part. We have very detailed wink records from this period. Yes, stenographers at the time always noted winks. It was thought to be important. And as historians, we're ecstatic that they did. I took a lecture with one of the experts on historical winking, and he actually really ignited my passion for this. There's so much in history where we don't even know if someone was winking when they said it. And it's like, you just write down the words. Well, if anyone knows, this guy did. You should look him up. It wasn't long after that when the government and the corporations together announced a plan for how to eliminate Mondays. That's right. The people, the political class and the business class, the people who make the government work, the people who make the business world work, and people in between, you know, it's a big sort of a Venn diagram that overlaps quite a bit. In many cases, people going back and forth, they came to a conclusion together. And their conclusion was, we're going to destroy and abolish Mondays in the name of the people. And also in the name of this great orator, whose name is unfortunately lost to history, we are going to name the new day of the week after. So we're not sure what the name of the day of the week was. All these records were unfortunately lost. And as historians, that fills our whole cup with tears. And no one wants to drink that cup. Sad tears. And if you're confused about why on some we have extremely detailed records and on some they were lost, we're going to do a whole episode on that and yeah, why please, some things were lost. Please bear with us. Yet. Please bear with us. There's a lot to explain here. It is. We history. just need to get to the point here very quickly. So Monday was abolished and there was no more work on Mondays. What used to be called Monday was now called what we'll call for purposes Celebration Day or Citizen Day. That was the spirit of it in the very least, although it was named after this specific historical figure who is not only purged from records, but even references to them have been purged. So that's the sort of the job of us historians is to look in those gaps and then be able to tell these exciting stories. And so, of course, they didn't want to decrease productivity. So they said, well, Saturday is obviously a work day now. We have no records of 
of anyone having a problem with that. Now, we're not sure if the really strong orator, whether they were taken in by the grift, if I can call it that, just shifting the days around but keeping it the same, and supported the policy because they were flattered by having the day named after them, whether they were squashed and silenced, forced to say certain things, or whether they just disappeared after that point. There's so many things in this history that we don't know. We just have to acknowledge that. But what we do know is this new system was practiced for decades. And we also do know that the political class saw this populist move against Mondays as a means to consolidate their power. It was a means to make this new day, the new Sunday, what we'll call Citizens Day. That was a day when all citizens had to do the new Citizens Day anthem. Now, we only have some of the lyrics that have survived the ravages of time, and most specifically, the series of Wrongtown Purges. Oh, I'll just mention, too, we do also know that it was of the ragtime genre, though the exact melody is disputed. And we know that part of the chorus did say praise to the Wrongtown City Council, praise to the mayor. Their abolition of Mondays makes them heroes for all time in history. And that's just one piece of possibly multiple sentiments across the song, but that was something that at least part of the chorus did make reference to. That's all we have this week for Wrongtown history. I hope it was fun. You like learning a little bit about our history here in Wrongtown. By reading books, we keep history alive. That's what we always say at Wrongtown history. The people wanted Mondays gone, and the council got rid of Mondays. Whatever else happened around that, those things are true and part of our history. There's been plenty of political and social movements throughout history that never successfully abolished Mondays. And it seems like sometimes some critics, the only abolitions of Mondays they want to critique are the ones that actually happened. So what does that say about them? Next time on Wrongtown History, the second abolition of Mondays. The day so not nice, we abolished it twice in Wrongtown History. That's coming up. I think it's actually kind of true that Monday is the most important day of the week. It's called Monday, it's short for Moon Day. Monday's actually named after the moon in like almost every language. Yeah, in French it's Lundi. I don't know if I'm saying that with the right accent, but Loon, like Lunar, you know, it's all the moon. Mon, not Jamaican. This is not named after the island paradise of Jamaica. It is named after the moon and the sky every night. And actually, indeed, our calendar itself is designed around the moon and the sky. In order to talk about Mondays, we need to start with ancient Sumerian calendars. Now, these ancient Sumerian calendars were based on the cycles of the moon, like waxing moon, new moon, full moon. What's the other one? Waning. Waning. Waning and waxing. So the entire cycle of the moon takes about 28 days. And if you split that in four, you can create four little segments of moon time that are each seven days. According to Evetiar Zerubavel in his book, The Seven-Day Circle, The History and Meaning of the Week, one of the reasons that the seven-day week really caught on was that it was useful for merchants and people who are meeting up to buy and sell things to each other. They needed a regular, agreeable measurement of time so they could meet at times and places. Cycles of Seven ended up working for them. I don't know all the details of this, but it starts in ancient Sumeria and Mesopotamia based on the moon. It's picked up by Jewish people. So basically the seven-day week gets spread all over the world. It has an origin in what is today Iraq. Through this whole like historical process, which is starting in ancient Sumer, moving through Greece, Rome, India, China, there's this global synchronization that happens around the seven-day week. Even though, you know, compared to like the amount of days in the year, for example, seven days is arbitrary. There was other cultures that had 10-day weeks or eight-day weeks, and the week is sort of arbitrary. We just make that up. But the seven-day week was spread around the world in great part because 
of commerce and the need to meet at times to do merchant things. And the reason that we don't like Monday is because, again, it's this heartbeat of commerce. People are returning to work. People returning as subjects within a wage system on the day that's named after the system is designed to be in sync with. Monday is sort of the heart of capitalism. And if we want a structural change towards a better system, towards doing things better, we need to abolish and destroy Monday. You know, when I think about the different forms abolishing Monday can take, as you point out, the seven-day week is an arbitrary cycle in a sense. Like, we could have chosen a whole bunch of different numbers of days in a week. I think seven's fine. I like the one-quarter of the 28-day moon cycle. That works for me. I don't want to abolish Monday by changing the number of days in the week because I think that'll just be confusing for people. I think we can just stick with seven. And I think there's a history within the seven-day week of taking back more of that week for ourselves. In a lot of early industrialization, even getting one day off a week was not a given for people. Sundays were often just half days where you could go to church in the morning at the work camp and then the rest of the day is still work. Probably made religion seem pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, the one time you don't have to work, like, hey, religion, this is great. <laughs> and then slowly What's over that time. Flesh? I will eat it. Slowly over time. One day a week, two days a week, the 40-hour work week gets set, which, you know, it's a lot, but better than what was coming before it. We've stalled out on that progress, but I feel like in terms of clawing back more of that week to us, you could add Friday to the weekend, but people already love Fridays. What you're saying here about Monday being the heart of capitalism, the heartbeat of commerce, the day that still represents that history of how the seven-day week came to be, this necessity of work and commerce and trade, striking at the heart of that as we claw back more of the week, more of this arbitrary cycle to the people, to rest, to engage with passions and everything that you can do when you're not doing wage labor for your boss. It's the right way to go about the continuing labor struggle for needing more time off. And I think it's the right way to go metaphorically and spiritually and ideologically going after the day where every week you're reminded your time isn't your own and you have to go back to your boss. That's what Mondays are. Ultimately, we want to change that so that your time is your own and bosses don't exist. But on the trajectory towards that, I do think striking at the heart of Mondays is a good extra metaphorical punch to add to the gritty, real material benefit of getting people shorter work weeks. Welcome to Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater. Hey everyone, I'm so happy to be working on this political project together to shorten the work week. I just want to get the discussion rolling and started here and say that I think we should make Monday no longer a work day, give people Monday off. Obviously Monday is everyone's least favorite day, so let's make Monday better and just get rid of work on that day. Nice to meet you. Abolishing Monday as a workday is the wrong way to go. It's true, people hate Mondays. But if you make Tuesday the first day of the work week, that's unfair to Tuesday. And I think that having Mondays as a day to hate is something that brings people together and that we'd be losing something trying to rehabilitate Mondays. Rather, we should 
eliminate Fridays as a work day because people already love Fridays, so why not make them better? This turns Thursday into the new Friday, which is an upgrade. And it turns Wednesday into the new Thursday, which is also an upgrade. And whereas Monday and Tuesday stay basically the same. So essentially by removing Friday as a work day, we abolish the hump day in the middle of the week, Wednesday, in a sense, which is the right way to go. Hey guys, I'm a fly on the wall here, but maybe a middle ground would be, you know, he said that abolishing the hump day is the right way to go. Maybe it is. Maybe we should just get rid of Wednesday and not be at work day, you know, have a split week and have a day off, a rest, never more than two days in a row, right? That's pretty, that could be a slogan. Just a spitball, just so happy to be working on this with all you guys and sorry to throw a curveball, but you know, something caught my ear when he said abolishing the hump day is the right way to go. I just, I can't help but agree with that. You are making the next most common mistake, which is that you can't abolish the hump day by directly abolishing the hump day, because what you end up doing is instead of eliminating the horrible feeling of a Monday, which was the original goal, or at least reducing it, you've now created two Mondays and turned Thursday into a second Monday. This is the worst of all possible worlds, and if the organization adopts that as a policy, I would be forced not just to withdraw, but I would work against the organization actively from that point on. No split weeks. Wow, this was a neat thread to read. This has been a really energizing discussion of ideas. Thanks for throwing this curveball out there, Op. Why don't we all hop on Zoom tomorrow and just hash this out? I think if we all get face-to-face, just put aside 45 minutes to an hour and a half, and we can just build a consensus and just do it on Zoom, hash it out on Zoom instead of here. What do you guys think? You guys have room tomorrow for a Zoom meeting, another Zoom meeting for this project? That sounds great to me. I have pages and pages in my Google Doc outlining my arguments, so it'll be great to have a time and space to give voice to all of that. Thank you. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater. I actually just learned some really interesting Monday history, which is that they increased the amount of yearly Mondays in the Soviet Union. In, I think it was 1929 to 1940, they instituted the Revolutionary Week, which was like a five-day week with four days of work with one day of rest. And everyone had a randomly generated day of rest. After a couple years of that, they were like, this isn't working, so let's try making it a six-day week instead with a five-day work week and a one-day weekend, which many people in the Soviet Union were not happy about because it meant that they were working an extra day every week (laughs) and didn't have any more weekend. (laughs) Your bosses come in and be like, good news, the week is now one day longer. It's an eight-day week, and we're going to have six work days and then two days on the weekend, and we're going to get so much more done. Isn't that great? Oh, Uh, thank you, boss slash politician. I'm so glad you're merged into one. When you first said a five-day week, I got excited for a minute and was like, did the Soviet Union have like a two days off, three day on? That would be great. You know, a lot of problems with the Soviet Union, but it would be great to have something nice to point to like that. But then it was the bad version. If they had done that, we'd be recording this under a different flag right now. But unfortunately, (laughs) they took the exact opposite tack that they should have. Well, yeah, they wouldn't have hit those industrialization targets with all those days off. For people keeping track at home, we can just put this fucked up one day weekend thing under, like Stalin did something wrong. I'm sorry. We can just move on there. Put it on your tally. Yeah. Whatever you think about everything else on the tally, this one was the wrong choice. That's bad. And I, you know, 
We've been saying this for a while on the show. The real failure of the Soviet Union was a result of not enough vacation time, not enough weekends. It's that level of like long-term burnout and lack of balance, lack of distribution of power and proportionality in people's lives that turns regular people into blood-soaked statesmen. On that note, actually, I've just got a tape here, which I'm going to be putting in now uh, for our new segment on the show, Blood-Soaked Statesmen. We're really excited to premiere this. This one's got a bit of a Monday's theme. So here we go. I'll just pop that in. The Seriously Wrong Blood-Soaked Statesman Series Joseph Stalin Under Stalin's government, they reduced the work week to five days in 1929 with one weekend day, which meant that 20% of days were days off. And they made a calendar switch in 1931 to a six-day week with one day off, and that meant that only 16% were days off. In contrast, the eight-hour movement, you know, where the May Day events were about, May Day martyrs and all that, where that was fought for and won, they were fighting for 28% of the week being days off. So at the same time when the Soviet Union was putting military parades on in the name of May Day and the May Day martyrs, they were rolling back the gains of the eight-hour movement from a 28% weekend down to a 20% weekend, and then five finally a 16% weekend. They increased the amount of Mondays per year. On their first calendar, there were 73 Mondays in a year, which is a 40% increase in Mondays. Literally, is not an exaggeration to say that under Stalin, they increased the amount of Mondays. And then in the second calendar, there were 60 Mondays in a year, which is a 15% increase in Mondays compared to the so-called capitalist calendar with a 20% increase to the work week and a 50% decrease in weekends. So the first thing that Stalin definitely did wrong was increase the amount of Mondays in the Soviet Union by 40%. That's very bad. When you look into these historical figures, seeing all these black marks on their past, really digging into it, learning about what they did wrong, it's so fascinating sometimes. You hear about Winston Churchill being directly intentionally responsible for the deaths of millions of Bengali people. Or you read about FDR and you think, oh, the New Deal, that's pretty cool. But then you think about Oh, World War II and Japanese internment camps, really just horrifying racist human rights abuses from these Western leaders. I just wanted to mention that. That's on topic. We're talking about one such instance of blood-soaked statesmen and their various crimes. And it's useful to mention. Yeah, just comparable people who also did horrible things. There's a lot of horrible things in history. So here's some more of Stalin's. The first one I came across when researching this was in 1934, the Central Executive Committee of the USSR, headed by Stalin, instituted criminal liability for sodomy. Basically, they outlawed homosexuality, reversing earlier laws that had been instituted under the leadership of Lenin. And that's bad enough, obviously, rolling back protections for disenfranchised minorities in a country is a horrible thing to do as a leader. But a detail about this that just really stuck out to me is, oh, this wasn't just a political decision by Stalin. This was something he believed in himself. You can find this letter on Marxist.com to Stalin from member of the British Communist Party, Harry White, who wrote to him out of concern for this decision and basically making the case that there should be a place for, quote, homosexuals in the Communist Party. It's a really great letter. It's like a personal plea mixed with the best arguments and science of the time, really making the case in a way that, you know, some elements of it, I wouldn't phrase it that way or I outright disagree with, but it's the 1930s and it's a really 
good letter. When this letter was found in the Soviet archives, on the first page of it was a note that was written by Stalin that said, Archive, an idiot and a degenerate, J. Stalin. That was his thoughts on this letter. So that just really stuck out to me that he did that wrong. Even if the whole committee made the decision, it seems like he probably pushed for the decision that ended up being made. Stalin's government forcefully relocated millions of people, ethnic minorities, by metric of their ethnicity, accusing ethnicities of collaborating with other nations' armies, being anti-communist, being enemies of the people, and so on. Their justification is that for military stability, they're trying to be hard-nosed in the face of the outbreaking world war, right? And they're trying to protect themselves. But imagine this, people being moved against their will in cold cattle cars to regions that don't have enough of the necessities of life to support them. Cold weather, people dying in transit, people dying of disease once they get there, based on their ethnicity. You know, that's so bad Winston Churchill could have done it. That reminds me of the Bengal famine. Yeah, it's horrifying. You know what else is horrifying I learned about? A man named Beria, who was under Stalin, the head of the NKVD, which was basically like the Soviet intelligence agency. You know, if they had a version of the CIA, maybe that's what it would be. He was known for being exceptionally brutal. Stalin actually referred to him as our Himmler. It's the weird thing to say about someone. He was involved in expanding the gulags. He was involved in those ethnic deportations purges of the party members, really behind a lot of this stuff. And it comes out after Stalin's death and after all of the fallout from that, some of the trials that followed, that Beria had been someone who repeatedly sexually assaulted young women and potentially killed them. One of the things that comes up in this is bones found in his backyard of some of these young women. Like, really bad, really, really bad. And that it was really likely that people involved in the government at the time and Stalin knew about this. A huge error, I would say, on Stalin's part associating with this guy. And that's doing something wrong in my book. Yeah, and of course in the Soviet Union there was some degree of collective leadership. All these people were taking decisions. But at the end of the day, Stalin was the coach of the team. He's calling the shots, giving that much power to Beria. Doesn't look good. Yeah, great point. Even under an authoritarian system, you don't want to put all the blame just on one person. It takes a whole group of people to prop that person up. Right, right. Authoritarianism is defined by the end experience on individual citizens, not the particular structure of the organization being rooted in an individual. Authoritarianism is when you have unjust limitations on your life constantly because of the political aims of a political class that has nothing to do with you. It could actually be highly democratic. It could be fascist, communist. It could be anything. That's the root of the authoritarian critique, right? It's like the user experience of society. Yeah, especially when it's a small group that isn't directly accountable to the people. And yeah, anyway, you all know this. There was a military agreement signed between Stalin's government and Hitler's government. That's right. You heard me right. Adolf Hitler, the one and only true Hitler of history. No offense to other Hitlers, although I'm sure you're great people. Change your name. The Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, it was a non-aggression pact between Nazi Germany and Russia. At the time, it was expected that war was likely going to break out soon, and they made this private agreement that came out on where their spheres of influence would be, how they split up land, and so on. The Nazis ended up betraying Stalin on this. There's scholarly debate on the logic of teaming up with the worst historical monsters in recent history. 
history. There's some debate on the military strategy of it, but in terms of building international communism, looking back, clear vision, I can say that it was a pretty firm mistake. Big issue, big problem. Communism shouldn't team up with Nazis. For sure, yeah. And to be fair, they did turn against them during the war. They weren't on the Nazis' team the whole time. Right, they ended up actually teaming up with another monster, Winston Churchill. Yeah, right. Against the Nazis. Which, you know, against the Nazis, you can almost say that's all right. Oh, yeah, no, no, I think so. I think actually I would give Stalin a pass on that one. And and I give Churchill a pass on teaming up with Stalin, too. Yeah, actually, Winston Churchill was quoted as saying, I admire the people of Russia and my wartime companion, Marshal Stalin. And Stalin was quoted as saying about Churchill, I like that man. There's a historian, I think, who says that they hit it off when they were drunk together. If you think about it, they're both very powerful men, both blood-soaked statesmen. There's a lot to bond over. So I can... Well, I mean, and you just defeated Hitler, like... Yeah, what's not to like about that? Yeah, I'd be riding high with whoever I defeated Hitler with, too. So the next thing that Stalin did wrong is during the Spanish Civil War, there was an outbreak of socialist revolution led by anarcho-syndicalists and communists working together to really seize the moment. You know, it's really unfortunate. The Civil War is happening between the factions, mostly of the Republican government, kind of liberals, we would maybe call them today, and the Franco-led fascists who are trying to take over the country. But in Catalonia, there is this socialist anarchist revolution happening. Early on in the process, Stalin even provided them some help, some arms to help them hey, fight off th- the hey, fascists. One thing he did right. Absolutely. Ding. Yeah. So just, I, I bet we could even find more things he did right if we looked. We weren't looking for that. We were looking for wrong, just to note. Unfortunately, that thing he did right didn't end up lasting that long because when the rubber kind of really hit the road, there's no easy way to sugarcoat this. Stalin ended up teaming up with the liberals to crush the other communists and the anarchists, uh, because I guess if I'm being generous, he thought that the liberals had the best chance to defeat the fascists. If I'm not being generous, maybe he didn't want a socialist revolution that he wasn't in control of. We can let history decide what was in his head, because obviously we don't know. But what we do know is that Stalin betrayed the anarchists in Spain. I think that's wrong. Maybe the people who supported the liberals or supported the fascists would be happy if the fascists because the outcome ended up in their favor after that, or the liberals because, you know, he was trying to help them. But from my perspective, I think that was wrong. Absolutely. And I mean, not to mention the communists that he was crushing as well. I mean, he betrayed the anarchists, yes, but these weren't just anarchists, you know. Anarchist communism is one of the most dominant strains of anarchism throughout history, you know. There's and people there identified also with other factions within the split, right? There was Trotskyists there and stuff like yeah, that, yeah, too. That's, yeah, the PMUA uh, communist Marxist-Leninists uh, were considered Trotskyists by the Stalinists. It really seemed like they all believed a similar thing, but the difference was mostly, do you agree with Stalin or not? And I think this is a good way that we can pin down authoritarianism. The way that one communist faction would side with liberals to crush other communist factions and anarchist factions within a civil war scenario, there was an organic sort of flourishing of leftism, and Stalin and Stalin's government crushed it, stamped it out, prevented the flourishing of difference. And obviously we all know that from difference comes strength, you know, having ecosystems of leftist ideas interrelating and building on one another and finding distinctions from each other, that can be a productive tension that makes communism, anarchism, or egalitarian politics stronger. 
but the authoritarian says there has to be like one way and will actually work to sabotage other modes of being and other ways of being, not just compete with them, but sabotage them. And that's something that can help us define authoritarianism as well. So there's uh, five, six, at least six, six things. At least did. six things you did. And you mentioned the Holodomor. That's another one. There's a great purge, obviously. Yeah, the, yeah, bury a big part in that. Um, also, obviously, you know, let this go without mentioning Lysenkoism, the right, yeah, <laughs> proletarian biological theory that is a pseudoscience that posited seeds of the same class wouldn't work against each other. They have a type of seed class consciousness and grow faster. And it was repeatedly proven not to work, but there was a culture of fear enough around reporting in the Soviet Union that somehow enough doctored data got through that they didn't realize how bad it was going until it was upscaled quite a bit. And it's an interesting thing to read about all these things, just to search away. So yeah, that's some things Stalin did wrong. Maybe next time we'll try and list some things he did right, just for balance. But this is the direction we went this time. So And you know, some people, oh, you gave Stalin too hard a time. Sorry. Some of you saying, hey, you didn't mention Stalin's most pertinent crimes. Oh, sorry. We'll try to get to all the crimes in time. There's many, many crimes of Stalin, and we don't mean to put these ahead of the other crimes, and we don't mean to... Yeah, we're, we're going to do an episode soon that just starts with the first thing Stalin ever did and ends with the last thing he ever did, and just get it all out there. Yeah. Good, bad, ugly, beautiful, all Everything of on a 1 to 10 scale. We need to demonstrate and really discover the depth of both beauty and terror and horror yeah. within the life of one blood-soaked statesman. And then maybe after that, we'll do Churchill or FDR or George Bush or the other George Bush or... And we'll just go through the best mustaches to worst. Back to the show. <laughs> Break up text. Hey, babe, just checking in. I noticed you made a mistake. Not a big deal, easily fixable mistake, but the new calendar you purchased puts Mondays as the first day of the week, which isn't how we do things here in North America. It's always Sundays the first day of the week. You know I like to plan my weeks on Sundays, so that calendar that you bought isn't going to work. Hey... Actually, I got that calendar intentionally. It's a European style. A lot of places in Europe will actually use the Monday first instead of the Sunday first. I find it to be more sleek and elegant. I like to conceive of weekends as a block at the end of the week. That's what I'm looking for in a calendar right now. So sorry, sweetie, but that's the calendar that I got and it's the calendar we're going to keep. P.S. I'm a little bit offended that you didn't mention these amazingly cute puppies. Okay, dot, dot, dot. I think it's possible to find a calendar that both has puppies and that isn't European. Yes, I have a healthy fascination and appreciation with the various cultures of Europe. There's nothing wrong with that. Look, I know you spent that summer in France or whatever and it put all those ideas in your head, but if this was just meant to be your private calendar, then why didn't you put it in your private closet? Why is it in the front entryway where we keep the family calendar with all the plans on it for the week that I do because I'm the one who spends my Sundays at the beginning of the week planning? You know what? Have you thought about planning on one of those Sundays to finish that puzzle in the dining room. It's been sitting there unfinished for it feels like four or five months now. You said that uh, you would finish it. Bit annoying. 
Number one, it's a 3D puzzle, and those take a lot of brain power. And number two, I would have finished it if I hadn't had to spend three hours yesterday looking for my keys that you moved that you said you didn't move because you just put them in a pile with my other stuff, which means that you put them under my other stuff so I couldn't see them, which is moving them, just like you want to move Mondays. Well, yeah, I need a little bit of counter space, and you leave your crap everywhere, so sometimes I need to pile it up. When I said I didn't move your keys, I meant I didn't specifically move your keys because I moved a lot of things at once as part of cleaning up after you. But maybe if you weren't over at the neighbor's house playing horseshoes, parentheses, still waiting for my invite, you could have picked up your own crap and finished this puzzle. All I hear is the clink of horseshoes over there. I wonder if you even want to be in the house. Look. I play horseshoes with my friends while you're off with your friends doing God knows what. But I don't make snotty little asides expecting an invite. We also do things together, and that's healthy as a couple, to sometimes be together and sometimes not. I don't know how they do things in Europe with their Mondays first. I really wasn't expecting this. It was just a quick note to fix the calendar. No, I was just trying to send you a quick note, and then you started a fight about totally irrelevant stuff, by the way. Maybe if you want this calendar that you love so much, you should put it in the neighbor's backyard. Maybe then you'd actually spend some time with it with the clinking of the horseshoes. You know what? Monday, Sunday, I don't care what day is the first day of the week in your world anymore. I don't want to be a part of it. You can start your weeks on Thursdays for all I care from now on. It's over. Yeah. It's over, and it's probably for the best, because you've left the milk out on the counter twice so far, and I worry and I think that you probably left it even more times, four or five times, but you caught it sometimes, you put the milk back in the fridge, but it's already been out on the counter spoiling, so then I can't trust the expiration dates anymore. I'm spending almost all of my milk time worrying that you've left it out on the counter again and secretly put it in and given it time to spoil. Yeah, I, I don't need that in my life. And you know what? It's been a great 12 years. We've got two beautiful children together, but this is over. And so, a simple problem that could have been solved by just purchasing two calendars ended up spiraling through 12 years of building resentments and proved that these two were out of sync on more than just the first day of the week. They would someday become friends again, but until then, these were the breakup texts. Where do you fit on the calendar issue of what is the first day of the week? Do you want Sunday at the left side of your calendar? Or do you want Monday? Do you want the two weekends together at the end of the week? I personally think that's more beautiful. It makes the weekend feel more significant to me, you know, starting the calendar, the visible calendar at Monday, and then having Saturday, Sunday at the end of the week. For like my day planners, I'd really prefer that personally. Are you talking about the current world as it exists or the future three-day weekend world? Let's say in the current world to start. I think I like the way it is. One weekend day at the beginning, one weekend day at the end, Sunday being the start of the week. I can kind of vibe with either one. I feel like I've been the other in the past, but I don't know. How about you? I'm kind of surprised to find out like how much I really prefer the Monday first calendar. It speaks to me on like, I want, almost want to say, I, I'm not a weekend warrior, I'm more of a weekend wizard. But to the weekend <laughs> wizard in me, or the weekend cleric, the, when I see Saturday and Sunday together... 
with the line in between them, it feels like a weekend's supposed to feel. When you split it and you put it over on the other side, it's like you're expecting me to go to church or something. Right. There is no split between Saturday and Sunday. There's a split between Sunday and Monday. That's where it changes. Yeah. Thinking about this now, my hot take is that the week starts on Saturday because yeah. that's when you can do the things you want to do. Saturday feels like the start of something good and Monday feels like the start of something bad. So if you have to put one of those two as the start of the week, I would put Saturday as the start of the week. I guess that would make it not the weekend, but the week beginning, beginning. <laughs> which doesn't roll off the tongue as well. Well, but under like, this American system, it already is the week beginning and at the, it, it, well i think of it as the bookends of the week on either side both days are at the end it's of a the psyop week. man it's a way to make <laughs> us think that the whole thing's balanced when it's unbalanced in the direction of work it's like oh yes one weekend day for one, another weekend day a balance between the two weeks that's not what balance looks like man but if you, you can, take back mondays you have now the first talking. day of the week saturday second day of the week sunday and then you know midweek things start to take a bit of a downturn monday is the day before before you have to go back to work and then Tuesday is the day you work but then the end of the week is almost already there you're almost at Friday and then you have a whole new week starting on Saturday again so I don't know I'm open to any version of this but I like that one I feel more of the vibe of like you know the weekend normally is it a weekend literally I mean that's obviously important as well and you you're not really I didn't mention that for sure <laughs> you're not granted that it, but you're oh you granted it oh I take that back I'm sorry yeah I granted that that was a downside. I just don't think it overcomes the... Wait, was it truly respectful of that? I don't know. I just... Why do you want to start your week on a down note? Oh, Tuesday. It's a start to the week. Because you get your dessert after you eat your vegetables. Yeah, I think we should start with dessert. A little bit. Mondays. <laughs> Monday is at the first of the calendar, but it's now a weekend day. Yeah, okay. That's fine. It keeps my bookend sense keeps of your, things. See, now we've really worked this out. We were working in this paradigm that Monday would not be turned into a day of rest and leisure. But when we opened our mind to the possibility that Monday could become a day for rest and leisure, it created new political frontiers between us. We were able to create a new synthesis. So that was really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And we're not saying that people shouldn't be paid as much as they usually do. You need to proportionally increase everyone's wages to make up for the lost work time. I think that should go without saying when you're making this sort Absolutely. of big political yeah. transition. And actually, there's a lot of reason to think that their productivity will increase. I can't make any promises, oh, they'll be more productive overall or whatever, but maybe they will. And they definitely, 110%, will have more meaningful lives, which have less meaningless toil to be able to spend more time with their families pursuing their passions, things that aren't about getting a paycheck, but are about nourishing the spirit, deciding who they want to be and taking steps towards that. That's the sort of stuff that should be on Mondays, but currently is now relegated to the weekend, a world away. So we have a two-day weekend and a one-day week beginning, and then you have the week. A week beginning, you also get off. <laughs> we can frame it however we want. We can divide the weeks wherever we want. I just think that three to four ratio so much better than a two to five ratio. Oh, yeah. No. Like two to five. No you question. can fit two and a half twos into a five, but you can only fit one and a third threes into a four. Like it's so different. No contest. With just one day. And just for contrast, and not to go too hard on Stalin, he's obviously been through a lot, but when you look at the five day week with one weekend day, you can fit five weekends in your work week. That would be like 
having a 10-day work week and a two-day weekend. Can you imagine that? Working for 10 days and then getting to go off for two days? The imagine how Sunday would feel. It wouldn't even be good. But when Stalin went back to the seven-day week, didn't you tell me there was still only one weekend day? So you yeah. could fit six work weekends into a work week? Yes. And to be completely fair to the historical Soviet Union, it was different in different industries. And for periods of time, they had seven hour and six hour workdays in some industries, which is a good thing. But they, in 1940, they switched to a six days of work, one day of rest system. And then in, I think it was 1960 or 61, they switched to uh, five days of work, two days of rest system. But yeah, they did, they did have a system where, you know, Saturday was basically abolished. You know, it was a six day work week, only one day of rest and they had that for decades so yeah pretty pretty rough stuff yeah just abolishing saturdays and making it a six-day work week. oh it's the opposite of what you're supposed to do there joe oof and the same people who defend him would cry bloody murder if joe biden did it yeah and rightly so if joe biden did that oh yeah and he, a variety would be, of he would be horrible yeah it would be unthinkably horrible if joe biden did that to us no matter the productivity goals joe biden announces his five-year plan and that he's abolishing saturdays changing usa over to a six-day work week <laughs> Could you imagine? gotta compete with the china jack we gotta get the factories moving Welcome back to Wrongtown History as we explore the exciting second chapter of the Abolition of Mondays in Wrongtown. Now, of course, the first Abolition of Mondays, the creation of the day that we no longer know the name of, sometimes called Citizen's Day, that experiment ended in what was widely perceived as a failure. The next administration struck all of this information from the records, struck the song from the records. That's why we don't have it anymore. After that, things kind of went back to relatively normal. It was the week that is on the traditional calendar, let's say. Again, it was back to that again. And, you know, people were relieved to not have to sing the song anymore, to, you know, have things be the way that they used to be. In some ways, it's a little bit satisfying to return to where you've been before. Uh, the older folks really appreciated it, especially. But that gratitude for not having to sing the Citizens Day song and sing praise of the politicians, a big relief to a lot of people. But that gratitude can really only last so long because at the end of the day, they had the same problem that they always did. At the end of every weekend. It's Mondays. Yeah what to do about Mondays. And, you know, that's the question that really started to grip Wrongtown in the decades that followed. There's the name of a famous pamphlet. Yeah, and that pamphlet spurred the creation of newspapers. It spurred... What, what, I'm, I'm forgetting the term. It, it's these, these, like, guilds, these groups that they had to get together and discuss the ideas of what to do about Mondays. And, you know, there's different factions of, like, oh, we think we should make the week just one day shorter. We think we should make Monday into two days. There was all kinds of ideas. The Monday Abolition Leagues were just popping off, and there was a lot of conspiracy theories at the time as well about sort of the intentions mm -hmm. of the city council and mayor around Monday, you know, why Monday was brought back and to what ends. And there was also this pernicious rumor increasingly spreading. And, was, you know, obviously serious editorial writers at the newspapers and stuff didn't give this much credence, but it carried a lot of weight with the grassroots. It was the idea that they're going to bring Citizens Day back and make us start singing the song again. And for a lot of people, Mondays were bad enough. And that was an insult too far. And there was this incredible outpouring. And we have documents of this. This is one of the best documented things that we have. The pamphlets, the newspapers, editorial cartoons, even very vulgar cartoons. I saw 
this absolutely hilarious cartoon of the mayor of Wrongtown at the time, uh, Sir Arthur Richley, tying up the corset, which was an anthropomorphized Monday. Oh, I remember that one. So it would imply that he's... cartoons really just make you laugh. Monday is his wife. Exactly. Yeah. And he's being helpful to her. Yeah, exactly. Now, the records we have from this time are extremely interesting because what starts happening is these different factions, these different groups, they're developing different calendars, different ways to reorder the work week, different different unions, different workers groups are declaring that they're now abiding by different calendars. And they're saying, I'll see you on Saturday, but Saturday is different on different calendars because the work week lengths are different and days are shifted around and renamed. Or they're like, what is Saturday? I don't know what that means. And like, it got really confusing. And whenever things like that get confusing, as you know, social strife starts to break out. And pretty soon we were in full out civil war. So we've got three main factions, the resolute Mondayists, the anti-Mondayists. Then you have the Tuesdayists who want to return to the system which has been purged. Can I just quickly admit, I almost wish they'd won because if they'd reinstituted um, what was called Citizens Day, but was actually named after that person that we don't know the name of, we would have a full copy of that ragtime tune and we would just, you know, I'd hope we still wouldn't be singing it, but at least we would still have it. Sorry, that's beside the point, but the third fact. Right, right. And a lot of people took stances on this conflict for a lot of reasons. The ragtime tune might even been some of it to some of them. And the third was a very disorganized group, a very varied group. And it was a lot of different variations on sort of the true Monday abolition movement. You know, these are people who rejected both these sides and said, you know, we want to do our own thing. But they didn't really agree very much along with each other. But when they came together, they were able to behead several city councilors. And we could get into all the details about why that was or wasn't historically necessary. And that's a whole other episode debating that topic. But what does come to be is that this third faction takes control of the society. And after what, by all accounts, was a calm and orderly democratic process with uh, very little winking, they came together and reached a compromise with one another to institute a new system to drastically reduce the amounts of Mondays. Now, this had support from the business community. This had support from many of the previous leaders. And there was something in there for the radicals, too. So it was it was a great coming together. It was a synthesis. It was it was yeah. a, it was synthetic. Not one extreme, not the other extreme, but something right in the middle, you know? Right. And they actually even said you can look in their own documents. People who take an extreme stance towards this need to be shipped in train cars out to work camps or otherwise detained. Yeah, those who wouldn't comp. I mean, if you're not going to compromise, then yeah, don't be you- don't be extreme. Yeah, it was important to them that quick action was taken decisively against Mondays and the most revolutionary calendar of all. Now, there's uh, you can read the meeting minutes from these events and there was a lot of debate about who was the most against Mondays. You know, it would be like, oh well. You would say that he's more against Mondays than you. And they're like, no, he's not more against my my tactics. I'm really against, like, this tactic is not about being, oh, I'm against Mondays the most. It's about actually abolishing Mondays. I'm the most against Mondays. So they're arguing this out. And we've got all the documents. And this is a historian's dream, really. Like, I wish we had this for the song um, and for other things as well from that earlier era. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The argument that ended up winning out, or at least a big part of the justification for it, was that if we jump to fully abolishing Mondays, as we did before, then, you know, Tuesday just becomes the new Monday. And why would you do that to Tuesday? So 
what they came up with instead was keeping Mondays and keeping them bad, but just having way fewer of them because right. obviously that makes it better, right? There's fewer Mondays. And another issue that keeps on coming up in these systems, the weekend's too short. It's two days. Can we make it three? Can we do that for the people of Wrongtown? Absolutely. Can we make it four? Well, no, not exactly, but three and a half for eight months of the year, which are holiday months, and three other months. It was a complicated calendar. Fascinating stuff. Beautiful thing about the 31-day week was with three-day weekend at the end, extra half day, eight months, holiday months, some of the time, is that it's only 12 Mondays a year. And the Monday haters obviously rejoiced at that. And we have lots and lots of records of the rejoicing. Absolutely. Lots of rejoicing, no winking uh, to indicate that the rejoicing was ironic or anything like that. Yeah, the keystroke for wink not used. So that settles that. Yeah. And it seems like workers were just very happy to continuously work for 28 days at a time because it meant that there wasn't that going back to work after every week, weekend. You know, they just like, sure, that happens 13 times a year. That's enough. It's plenty. You know what? I'll keep my Mondays limited to that, please. That's what people were saying. But that's not where the end of the Monday story is. But we're out of time. Sorry. We're not able to explain the third and final abolition of Monday. Thanks all for being with us and I uh, hope you learned something. Uh, you know, history can be fun. We always try to say on the show, history can be fun. Yeah, we try to say it and then you said it. We did it. And history can be fun. Sometimes doing something as easy as giving it a try. And we just proved that saying that history can be fun, which we intended we set out to say. Absolutely. Every- and the people who abolished Mondays and then reformed away most of the Mondays in these various movements also proved that. They gave it a shot and they did it, you know? Yeah. And then it doesn't matter. I mean, regular Monday came back later. Oh, spoiler, but we'll get to that. Oh, back, back to the show. So I think it would be good for us to talk about some of the practical limitations to implementing a political program of the abolition of Mondays. Yeah, I think it faces challenges at a few different levels. And one of them is just the sort of basic level that any deep change to society in a better direction that people can push for and do push for constantly face in society right now, which is this bias towards how things are and the idea that it therefore must continue to be this way. And I think that whether you're talking about building adequate social housing for everyone or in America giving everyone health care is still something like this. Things that are this good just seem impossible all the time. But I think also the particular framework of abolishing Mondays might have a hard time getting off the ground because like, well, yes, people do hate Mondays. And I think framing a a political movement around getting rid of something that everybody hates is generally a good idea. I think one of the biggest hurdles might be that people would see it as fundamentally unserious and not just in a like, oh, it's utopian kind of way, but in a, are you serious Garfield kind of way? Like, are you, I think I'm worried that people will think it sounds dopey or it's like just a joke or something. I mean, we could just respond really seriously. Like, yes, comrade, I'm a Marxist, Leninist, Maoist, Jim Davis thought. I believe in the abolition of Mondays and liberation of working people around the world. We could wear Garfield patches as a symbolic of our opposition to Monday. Yeah, just own it. Yeah, I don't don't know, because I think you're right to say that the big issue is probably the forces of society that we face against trying to change anything. And I think it's probably true to say shortening the work week or extending the weekend are frames that might be taken more serious by policy wonk types. But I do wonder if when it comes to talking to our neighbors and when it comes to talking to our coworkers, if 
Like, do we have just like, is it a very serious person on our shoulder? Is our super ego putting a liberal TV pundit there being like, you can't be serious. But then it turns out when you actually talk to people about it, when you're like, yeah, we could just sort of like get rid of Mondays and get paid the same and have longer weekends. Like maybe it would be that we need to end Mondays is actually a better phrase for connecting with more people because of that lived experience. Like people aren't like, oh, I hate the length of the work week. They're like, I hate Mondays. So it seems to me that it's possible that people who aren't over serious in the way that they think about politics, but are more just like regular people and, you know, have overall maybe an aversion to politics based on all the awful things that you see there. I wonder if they might be able to see it the way that we do, but I don't know. It, it requires the work of building a common sense to support it in any case, and that is a that is a limitation. Yeah, even simple things like saying abolishing Mondays, I think, can maybe come across as confusing. And you know, maybe there's different versions of that. Like we could talk about taking Mondays back for the people rather than abolish. Like I think people might get confused about like how do you remove a day of the week? But whether it's the primary strategy or just one of the things in the grab bag. I do think that setting the target on Mondays, like I'm just in my head seeing like activist sniper vision on what they should focus, putting that target on Mondays, on this thing that people hate. It does seem like a good idea to me. And maybe even appropriating Garfield into the fight. You know, Comrade Garfield gets it. He knows Mondays are bad. You just want to chill out, relax on Mondays. Right, and Garfield's not a worker himself. He's not complaining about his work schedule, he is actually doing political advocacy and ethical solidarity with working people, which is almost more powerful. You know, he's not, Garfield isn't just a worker who experiences that brutalization themselves. He is a conscious and ethical agent speaking to the needs of working people, even though he himself is able to live a luxurious lifestyle as a cat. So uh, I think that we can really tip our hats tip our Yushenkas to Garfield for that one. That's a great point. Garfield isn't looking out for himself. Every day is the same to Garfield, except maybe John goes to work on Mondays. Maybe that's why he hates them, because John's around less, and they always fight those two, at least in Garfield's head, but he misses them when he's not around. I think that Garfield just cares about other people. And sometimes it is those sort of sarcastic people with a lot of defenses like Garfield who do care the most and like show it in ways like this. Yeah, I mean, often almost all oppositional politics fits into this category. It might seem like Garfield is saying, I hate Mondays. But what he's really sort of saying in a way is, I love workers. Because every sort of opposition or hate, you know, I think Che Guevara is right. Like Garfield is motivated by revolutionary love. What he has for himself, he wants for everyone, which is a Monday for leisure, a Monday taken back for the people. And he wants John to have more time to spend with his family, to follow his hobbies, his joys, his hilariously... (laughs) Garfield wants John to go on more hilariously incompetent dates. Yeah, and I think really Garfield is, that's the level Garfield's on. Yeah, that's what he wants for John. At the same time, maybe it is just the liberal pundit on my shoulder, but maybe associating your political movement as like the Garfield movement and we all identify with Garfield and, you know, instead of the V for Vendetta masks, they're all Garfield masks and we're demanding our Mondays back or that the Mondays be ended or however it ends up being phrased. If it happens that way, I wouldn't be surprised. If it needs to be something a bit more on the front of it serious, I also wouldn't be surprised at that either. I think the most we can do is put it out there, see if people like it, you know, and maybe it'll happen. It definitely could. 
the fact of the matter is that the very serious people in our society, the VSPs, you know, people who are pundits, politicians, the people who read the New York Times and these very serious people, you know, they're going to call the movement to shorten the work week, to increase the weekend, and to change our relationship to work week after week. They're going to call it ridiculous whether or not we all wear Garfield masks and whether or not we all attribute Che Guevara quotes to Garfield. Papa and boy. Papa, if all of the Papas don't like Mondays, why don't you just get together and get rid of them? Get rid of Mondays. Oh boy. When you get older like me, you'll learn that just because everybody hates something doesn't mean we should get rid of it because it's already like that. So you can't just change things that already are one way. Okay, boy? We have to keep Mondays. But Papa, I'm already seven, and I'm getting older every year, and soon I'm going to be an adult. And as long as you're working on Mondays, Papa, that's one-seventh of my life, my childhood, that you're going to miss. And Papa, even if we can't organize it in time for you to spend more time with your kids, what, what about Papa's in the future and their kids? Shouldn't we have a three-day weekend for everyone? Doesn't everyone deserve that amount of time with their family and to, to follow their passions, Papa? Isn't, isn't the abolition of Mondays not only realistic, but, but necessary for the advancement of the human spirit, Papa? Oh, the mind of a boy. You'll understand someday after having experienced Monday after Monday after Monday, after soul-crushing Monday. It's actually more painful to have hope that they could one day end. The idea that it's just not realistic and we can't do it, that's actually soothing to your papa. Because if we could, that means all this pain is... It means that it doesn't have to be, but is. And that's, that's even worse in a way. Now come along, we'll have some ice cream, talk about things, we'll talk about your favorite toys, TV shows, whatever you seven-year-olds are into these days. I'm gonna figure it out, I'm gonna learn, because we're gonna talk about it, but please, just no more of this revolutionary Monday talk. It's, it's breaking your old papa's heart. Okay, papa, you've shuttered my imagination with short-term payoffs. I no longer believe in the capacity or necessity of working people to come together and abolish Mondays. Fine. Hey, that's just part of my job as a papa. Gotta crush those dreams young. Papa and boy! <laughs> and uh, that's been the Seriously Wrong Podcast. Thank you to everyone for uh, joining us this week and thinking through the abolition of Mondays with us. Yeah, we always appreciate people tuning in. We always appreciate hearing from people, getting feedback from people, just having the privilege to be able to do this and record stuff like this and love doing the show. There's some stuff still around the corner, more sketches after the theme song and all that. But I also want to thank everyone who goes out of their way to help broadcast our show to more people, telling friends about the show, recommending episodes you think they'll like. I also want to thank our generous donor community on Patreon and Discord. We really couldn't do it without you. And uh, yeah, I'm from the bottom of my heart, I am grateful for your contributions. It makes, uh, it's just doing the show is awesome. <laughs> I really like doing the show. It's really fun. And I want to say this episode is certified. We didn't record any of this episode on a Monday. And if you're listening to this on a Monday, I just want to say we've all been there. I understand what it's like and just hold on, you know, Tuesday's around the corner and I know it's not that great, but before you know it, it'll be Thursday and then Friday and then another weekend's here. So, you know, keep strong. 
if it's Monday where you are right now. And if it's not Monday where you are right now, shh, you can still get away with it. Just don't tell anyone that you violated our intellectual property by listening on the wrong day when we requested at the beginning that you only listen to this episode on Mondays. (laughs) Oh yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. Seriously Wrong, Further Abolitions of Mondays, and Wrongtown. We have such a treat for you all on this Wrongtown history, wrapping up the series on Mondays, because what happens next is amazing. So obviously, the 13 Mondays a Year Society crumbled, not because people didn't support it, but because it turned out that working that many days in a row actually causes productivity to lower. So then the business interests wanted to reintroduce more regular weekends because it actually benefited them. So that's how it ended up getting and we back to normal Monday society again. But then there was this incredible populist movement erupted out of almost nowhere, swept city council. They were Monday accelerationists. They increased the rate of Mondays to over 180 per year by making every second day a weekend and every second day a Monday. Their theory was that by increasing the rate of Mondays, they could eventually abolish them. Yeah, there was a lot of interesting theory around this time that by having every other day be a weekend that Mondays were also Fridays and maybe that would make it feel like a Friday. But the accelerationist ethos just kept expanding. And this experiment ended in what was called the Long Monday, which was 8,933 days that were all Monday in a row. The idea was that if every day is a Monday, is any day really a Monday? But a small number of them became sort of disenfranchised with this industrial society and the way that it pillaged and destroyed the earth. But they had a very radical, destructive, anti-calendar ideology. And what they ended up doing was massively sabotaging society to the point where it completely collapsed into an indefinite period of time where primitive rules of nature applied, as far as we can tell. The wild man within all of us returned, and we cast out the screens and the- And the written word altogether, calendars, all of it. Spoken, confederated, warring groups with some fascinating and wonderful mythology. Yeah, there's great oral history from this period, but no direct record, no calendars. This fifth abolition was really thought to be the final abolition of Mondays to the people who participated. What ended up crushing that society, obviously, was Monday imperialism. You know, Wrongtown had abolished Mondays, what seemed like once and for all, but that wasn't true for everywhere in the world. And there were some blood-soaked statesmen who resented this movement, had overthrown the previous blood-soaked statesmen who had been running the previous Monday system in Wrongtown. That's when you got the external aggressor showing up. And yeah, they imposed a very, very strict 10-day week, one Monday every 10 days, no weekend. Now, you know, you always got to wonder what's in the heads of these blood-soaked statesmen, because what caused one of the previous systems to collapse was too many days working in a row. And sure enough, that happened again here. And Yeah, they barely finished a pyramid and a half. I swear to God, there was 1.5 ziggurats at this point, and then... 
Bim, bam, boom. Another Monday revolution. They said, know what? We're going to have a nine-day week, no Monday. Then there was the society where Monday was every afternoon, but never in the morning. And then Monday was a different day for everybody, depending on astrological sign. Right. Then there was the technologically advanced society where you could split up your Monday across seven days, but you had to always hit 24 hours. There was uh, Mondays in space where they said, oh, we'll fly everyone to space for Monday. It'll be fun. Mondays on ice, similar, but more like skating. There's been all sorts of revolutions around the Monday. And I think my favorite was Family Health Monday. Yeah. Taking each Monday aside to think about family health and to really just support family health. Bring up awareness, check in with your doctor, check the health of your own family, cook a nice healthy meal for the family. And yeah, no Mondays. So it doesn't sound like a half bad system to me. Obviously it ended in uh, bloodshed. Yeah. And, and now it's like, what does the future of Mondays hold? History is still being written, I guess is what we're saying. That's for sure. And history can be fun. Absolutely. And writing history can be fun. And not just writing history in a book, but writing history by the things you do can be fun. I think that's that's Wrongtown history, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's all Wrongtown history. Wrongtown history is an inclusive concept that includes what we're saying here, what you're saying there, and what other people are thinking out there as well. Which is why we lasted so long on public access here in Wrongtown. Yeah, and why through all these revolutions, Wrongtown history keeps on keeping on. Yeah, you can't overthrow this small group of independent historians. No, don't tempt them. They might try. but I mean, they've tried before and failed, but... Yeah, we defeated them. But that's for another episode. That's for another episode. Yeah. (laughs)